Hey, this is Mo Maduro with the Life Expansion After 50 podcast. Today we're talking about the financial area. Quick recap, we have the mental, physical, spiritual on the left, emotions in the middle, that's the gateway to what we want, which is on the right side, relationships, professional, and financial. And I have the, the graphic is set up as the be, do, have. Uh, we have to become that person first, and we have to do the right things, and in this case, modulate our emotions in such a way that we're not triggered and then we can have what's on the right side too often people go after have do be that's how society is set up that's how advertising is set up that's how we're conditioned have do be when i have the car when i have the so many followers when i have the job title when i have the house when i'm in that neighborhood and we find out that when we get there we're still not enough you have to become enough first before you step into that this gets real important when we start talking about above the line and financial is a good measure because it's kind of universal i'm not saying it's the best measure because there are some wealth wounds that are associated with it and it really takes people off the game. If you want more money, you have to serve more people or serve them at a higher level. It's simple as that. The, the world is kind of brutal. I saw a thing where there was a famous rapper who didn't, wouldn't give a few thousand dollars to his cousin or something like that. And his response was, that's not how it works. And there's a lot that to unpack in that. But there is a whole sense around this money thing because money is energy and if people have to learn that formula and they could get stuck in a loop until they do and it's okay if you choose not to people who choose not to it's okay but this is about life expansion and if you're going to be expanding your life you will need some resources and life expansion is about purpose and self-actualization and while there are many ways to do that that don't include a financial goal it does take resources either yours or someone else's to go after the that self-actualization and we should be paid for our efforts and our expenditure of energy, whatever that looks like. So we're going to talk about it from the context of energy, but I also want to talk about it uh, in compounding because, again, in looking at how I wanted to talk about the financial area, I wanted to look at something that was going to be evergreen, something that's universal enough and that applies, and it's practical, but at the same time, I want to bring it down to where it's something we can talk about on a day-to-day -day basis, and compounding does that for me. In the last episode, I did bring up profit versus revenue, and the context is this. If I go back 30 years, 40 years, any major organization was spending these single digits in advertising, 5 to 10% was a good advertising number, preferably around 4% for advertising spend. Fast forward to the internet, and especially right now, I've been in rooms with people who were more than willing to spend 100% of the revenue for advertising. Now, let me put some context around that because there's two ways of looking at that. One is you're spending 100% of the revenue or even more. They're losing money on the advertising, but it's for a lead magnet. It's, it's for a 5 or 6 or $7 lead magnet that brings the person into the fold, makes them a client. And then there's a higher ticket item that gets marketed to those people who are in the fold. That's different than if you're taking your signature product and spending 50 cents on the dollar for advertising compared to revenue. Let me, let me break that down a little bit. Let's say that you have a, an ebook and you, the ebook sells for $10 and you're advertising and spending about $11 for every ebook. But that ebook is a way that people then want to do business with your organization and perhaps they buy a roof from you. 
that makes sense. Then you have to look at the, the metrics to see how many ebooks do they take about, main, you know, about maintaining the home? How many ebooks purchases does it take to have a big enough prospect pool to be able to sell a roofing job? And that makes sense because that's more like advertising spend. That's like direct mail. I can put it in that category. But if you're selling roofing and you're advertising the roofing and you're paying 30 or 40% of the job, well, you already can do the math. You're, you're going to have a problem. We've got to be real careful about letting the advertising spend go up above 10% and being able to make that this distinction. Am I talking about my signature products or my main products, or am I talking about a, a very inexpensive lead magnet just to be able to collect email addresses, if you will, or be able to get people to become clients, paying clients, even if that's at a low level? So I know of organizations where using affiliate marketing and things of that nature, they're giving away 80% of the revenue on a product. And the, what they'll say is 20% of something is better than 100% of nothing. And I get that part. But what you have to be real careful about is, is the waiting. How much of your business do you want coming from that? that if that's ancillary, that's one thing. If it's your business model and that's where all your revenue, you, you got to be diversified pretty well. I saw that happen in, with the pandemic. I saw people who were spending several hundred thousand dollars a month on advertising and they were, they were selling products to cover it. But when the pandemic hit and the supply line shut down, two things happened. One, they had to send that money back to those people that they had collected, consumers. And in a lot of cases, those advertising bills come after the fact, right? So they give you sort of a credit, but it's a, they give you some leeway. You're going to be paying those bills at the end of the month, not the beginning. And so now they've got a three or $400,000 bill coming at the end of that month. And the advertising was already kicked in. So there's going to be some residual payments that are due the following month. And meanwhile, they're giving money back so the pandemic was real rough on some folks. And, you know, Warren Buffett talks about it. When the tide goes out, you see who's, who's not wearing any pants. That's just a, a quick example of looking at profit versus revenue. So you want your revenue growth to be profitable. I fell into that trap with the motorcycle business. I, I you know, being in sales, I like the idea of driving more revenue. I got the whole profit thing, but you don't see all the risks. And when things are good, what looks like a good decision turns out to be a terrible decision when things are bad because it doesn't take long, especially when the profit margins are thin. It doesn't take much to flip from one side to the other. So you got to be careful. Now, the other thing I talked about in the professional area was pivoting. I talked about purpose being 12 o'clock and now you can pivot between using a clock face sort of like 10 until to 2. So you have this nice cone where you could pivot around your purpose but, purpose, but don't lose sight of where your purpose is. You don't want to be pivoting to two o'clock and then next time you pivot, pivot to four o'clock. You have to pivot back. You want to keep pivoting back and forth across the purpose. And I used pivot, purpose, passion, and process. You want to have a process that, that you follow. And now that way you can capture some of that energy that's stored up in your balance sheet while it's still there. You don't want your balance sheet to dissipate trying to make a, a faulty operating model work. Especially now with the internet, it's so easy to market. I mentioned we can change our operating model. You can have one purpose, one business, the endless operating models. It's just how you want to want to slice that. The other thing I would add when you're talking about the financial area, it's not all about money. When you look at 
what money does for you, its lifestyle is a big part of it. People can have a very wealthy lifestyle on a fraction of the amount of money that someone else has. You can only drive one car at a time. I get that, but maybe you want three or four cars. I get that. That's fine. I, I laugh sometimes when I look at some of these really high-end expensive cars and I look at the brake systems on them and you got ceramic brakes. When people buy those cars, they don't realize that they're buying brakes that are able to bring that car from 200 miles per hour down to 30 miles per hour in record time. And to do that, you're talking about a brake job that's going to run you $10,000 just because of the ceramic brakes and all that. Same with suspension. You've got suspension that's designed for perfection on the track. And so it wears out faster. And when you replace it, you're replacing it with something that has a very, very high break-even point because there's not a lot of unit soles. When you buy these these expensive cars. If you don't need the sporting performance, I would move towards the luxury side because at least you're getting what you're paying for. These people who are buying these performance cars because it was the top of the line. It's one of those things that causes my brain to hurt a little bit when I see a six-piston caliper on a car that never goes over 60 miles per hour. It's just a little bit of a challenge. I got off on a rant there, but the point being, you don't have to have a, a Bugatti to have a great car. You don't have to have millions of dollars. I'm not knocking that. I'm not knocking it at all. What I'm suggesting is look at it in the context of what is it that I want out of life? What is life meaning for me? My quality of life? What is my self-actualization? And what does having a wealthy lifestyle look like for me? It could be just living near a ski area and you have everything that you need, you're comfortable, you enjoy the fresh air, you get to ski anytime you want in the winter and ride your mountain bikes in the summer. That may be it. Do you need a billion dollars? I would say a lot of people don't even know how much a billion dollars is. I like to break it down like if you, sp if, if you were to spend $1,000 a day, just think about that. Every day you spend $1,000. You can't save it. You can't give it away. You have to spend it. Now, you may have fun doing that for a few months, but it's going to get old pretty quickly. And then you say, well, how long does this have to go on, right? Well, if you spend $1,000 every single day to get to a billion dollars, it would take you 2,800 years, roughly, is a little bit short of that. 2,800 years to spend $1,000 a day to get to a billion dollars. So a billion dollars is a lot. So when you look at somebody with two and three and four billion dollars, obviously, obviously it's more than they need. I'm not knocking that, not against it. I'm just wanting people to start putting things into perspective and looking at it as it's not the money, it's what the money does and how you're using it as a tool or resource for your health, wealth, love, and happiness. There's a quick little story. I, I wanted to weave this in, so this is a good enough place as any. I have a client, uh, financial services, high wealth clients, and it's really interesting when you talk, when I talk to them about the challenges that their clients have. Obviously, some of it is market corrections. That kind of stresses them out because when you have, you know, a, a portfolio portfolio that's in the nine figures, eight and nine figures, small market corrections <laughs> turns into a lot of money. But the, the part that makes me laugh is angst that goes around the minimum annual distribution. So once you're after 70 years old, you have to use a certain amount of money out of your qualified plans or you're penalized. And so they have to have, it's called a minimum annual distribution. So each year they have to take a certain amount out of their qualified plans and it gets taxed. And that's probably why they don't like it. They don't like the whole taxation thing. But imagine having that as your major problem, that 
you 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 don't want to have to figure out how to spend this money you have to take out of your your qualified plan. I get that there's more to it than that. They want to have leave money for their their family. They don't want to pay taxes, and I understand that. But then on the other hand, I watch Shark Tank, and there are some people with these great business ideas, and they just need twenty thousand dollars. That's all they need. And these guys are like begging to just, all I need is $10,000, $20,000, and I can make this happen. And it was just interesting to look at that juxtaposition. And so now I look at these folks who are worried about taking out the minimum annual distribution, and imagine if you could put that person, that 70-year-old who has some skills and some knowledge, and, and marry them up with a Gen Z who's working in the basement on this project, this idea that's going to help change the world, and all they need is $20,000. It's sort of like, man, what a connection, especially if you can match it up to somebody's purpose and their, and, and their self-actualization. They could be part owner of this business, and now, rather than worrying about paying taxes on their minimum annual distribution, they could be worried about paying taxes on revenue that's coming from the business that they're a part owner of. And if they're doing it in the context of their purpose and passion and what they love, they also get to have that fun. You know, it's the same way that people in, will sponsor teams and race cars and they get to hang out at the track or whatever it is. They get to, to go to the big games. They get the box seats. It's just an interesting thing that you have people who are worried about a minimum annual distribution and then you have some great business ideas sitting on the shelf for one of about $20,000. Now, I wanted to make the, the point about compounding. So that was all about energy and purpose and storing up your energy and using it wisely by pivoting, having a pivot strategy so you're not dissipating your balance sheet and you can pivot from a position of strength and not a position of weakness. So the other thing is compounding. When you read the books like The Millionaire Next Door and, and these books, you, you see that millionaires largely come from two areas, entrepreneurship and compounding. People had a 30-year career and they did a good job of compounding and now they're multimillionaires. It's the same case with, uh, you know, if you look at people, wealth, wealth management clients, it's the same thing. A lot of them just did a good job of saving. It doesn't mean that they were the CEO, they just did a good job of saving, and we'll talk about that. Compounding, you wanna get your head wrapped around this. You wanna understand it in a practical sense and look at things through the compounding lens, but understand that there's tentacles to it. So for example, if you double $1,000 10 times, it'll become a million dollars, a million 24 to be exact. But at five years, it's only 32,000. Just do it, do the, work it out. 1,000, 2, 4, 8, 16, 32, that's your five years. And then you have your, your 64, your 128, your 256, your 512, and then your 1,024. So that's how $1,000 doubled 10 times is a million dollars. And there's lots of examples like that. What people get lost at, they say, oh, I, you know, where are you going to double your money? You can't double your money. You can't double your, people double their money in a year. I was doing trading. I would double money in a month, but that was too much risk and I would lose twice that. So it's not that you can't double it, it's that the risk is so high that you don't want to. But who said that the metric had to be doubling $1,000 every year? I just said double $1,000 10 times. Suppose you had 50 years to double that $1,000 10 times. So now it's very realistic. So what you can do is start looking at what's my period of time that I want to step into this doubling. When you look at these folks that you go to the game and you see these people on, with the hot dog carts, you don't know how many of those actually for the hot dog cart people become restaurants. They're compounding. They're rolling that money back into the business, rolling it back into the business. Not all, but some. 
and it turns in, it, it then brings them a restaurant. Same with the t-shirt. You know, if, if, if you want to double that $1,000 every few years, and you put $1,000 into buying t-shirts and the printing and getting the print, you don't have to have the printing equipment. You, all this stuff is on demand. You order it. You, you can even, even have it shipped. You can literally never touch the t-shirts. You can have the t-shirts sent to a place. They're doing the print on demand. They don't print unless somebody buys, so there's no inventory risk. And all that gets done, and all you're doing is doing the marketing and the advertising, and you keep rolling that money back in, and you don't use it to live on because you're living on income from somewhere else. And now that one th doubling that $1,000 becomes more realistic if you give yourself three or four years. The other thing I'll, uh, in compounding I want to talk about, because everybody's not going to have a business, and I, I can tell you, having done the 30 years, knowing what I know now, would it have been so bad to do another 10 years in the corporate world? Probably not, because, you know, I had, I had like seven weeks vacation, you get the health benefits, you have all this going on, you got this support, you got legal teams, marketing teams, you have all this help and support around you. Whereas when you're on your own, you do it all. You're doing the work for 10, 12 hours a day, and then you got to do all the admin stuff. The state wants you to do things. The federal wants you to do things. The associations want you to do things. And, and plus, you got to take care of your equipment, et cetera, and your customers. But let's say you're in a, a job, and let's say you're doing $75,000 a year. 20 years compounded at 3%, which is roughly what you're going to be getting is about, around inflation. That's $135,000 after 20 years. It's not a lot, right? And so people say, why should I do this? But when you start looking at it from a compounding standpoint, the price you pay today, if you, if you choose to have a career, now if you're doing a job and you don't like that job, this doesn't work. But if you're making a decision about going out on your own or doubling down and becoming a player in that company, you can decide that you're going to be a player and you're going to go after it. But you have to have a mentor. It's nice to have a sponsor as well, maybe pay for a coach. And now you can get your 9%. If you take $75,000 and have an average compounding of 9%, 20 years, that 9% turns into $420,300. Now, before you tell me how unrealistic that is, I'm going to do 12%. 12% 20 years is $1,227,000. Yes, that's probably unrealistic to do at one company. But if you're looking at it from a career management standpoint and you have a coach and you have someone who's helping you, you go from a middle manager in a large company to a senior manager or director in a small company. And then you take that director position and you move over to a senior manager in a large company and you take that and so you go back and forth. And this is, you can move, I, literally you could take a VP in a small company who makes less than a director in a large company. And so you just play it like that. And if you change jobs every two years, and I've said this before, if you reassess your situation every two years, you're more qualified to do something better than anybody else on the planet. If you take that, based on your temperament, skills, experience, and those things, you take that idea and you say, okay, and now I'm going back into my job search. I'll give you another example. Let's say you're a little further along in your career. So 75, you're way above the 75. Let's say you're making $200,000 a year. 3% and let's do 10 years instead of 20 because you may have less time. $200,000 at 3% is $268,000. So when you're looking at it as a career, you want to be thinking about it from this standpoint because then it makes sense for you to invest more time and energy 
to be able to, you manage your career right, you get some great results, now you have some context for that next job search. 9%, 10 years, starting with $200,000 is $473,000. Why do I say it's, it's realistic? Because there's always something changing and there's always somebody who's willing to pay for your skills. And if you're the best of the best, then you can command that. And by the way, when you're looking at, at selection, results are assumed. So they're looking at the how and they're looking at the relationships and they're looking at the fit. So if you're the right fit for that job, that's why I start with we're better qualified to do something better than anybody on the planet. If you start with the right fit and you've got the skills, obviously you're getting the results and you can have the, re- and you have the relationships, brings all of that to become more within reach. And then the final thing I'll leave you with, because we're talking about compounding, and by the way, the book, uh, The Richest Man in Babylon, is a great book to read. You can sit down and read it in a couple of hours, and it's, it's uh, one of those books that'll stand the test of time. But the rule of 72, most people have heard of that, and they just dismiss it, oh yeah, that tells you how long you can double your money. But when you're looking at it in terms of business ideas and what we were just talking about, if you take the rate and you divide it into 72, it tells you how long it's going to take you to double your money. So the rule of 72 would tell you that if you had a 10% return, it would take you seven years to double your money. If you had a 7% return, it would take you 10 years to double your money. A 15% return is 4.8 years to double your money, and a 20% return is 3.6 years to double your money. So when you start looking at it like that, and you're thinking about the t-shirt example I was saying, yes, it is possible to get 20%. And if you could just do nothing else but print those t-shirts and market and sell and keep your your net profit to 20%, so your gross is probably going to be 50% or so, but you've got expenses, your advertising, just make sure you put all the expenses, that you include all the expenses in your calculation, and that 20% in three to six years, you could double that $1,000. And then you can do it again and again and again. Again, I'm not giving you a business model or an operating model. I'm just telling you some things to give you some context for conversation as you think about this. The last part is, is have some key process indicators so you know early, some early loss warning. You don't want to wait until you've fallen to figure out how to get up. I've talked before, you get up while you're still falling. Get up while your, your, your balance sheet is strong. That's where pivoting comes in. If you can pivot and just do these 5 and 10 degree shifts, you can keep your momentum going. If you wait, 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 wait until you're about out of money and you try to make that pivot, you're, you're too late. Think of it in terms of conserving your energy, plugging up those energy leakages, and then pivoting early and having a plan to pivot. That's the process, right? Purpose, passion, process, and that's how you pivot. I'm going to leave it there as a lot. This is a very broad topic, but energy and compounding, I think, sums it up, and we'll talk to you next time.